0: Balance is so important in every aspect of the Christian life. We could look at pretty much any issue we want to think about as it pertains to the Christian life, and it wouldn't take a lot of effort for us to understand where the extremes are as it pertains to that particular issue, whatever it is. And instead of trying to name five or six issues, say there's one extreme and there's the other, I just want us to notice this morning that What we're going to be talking about this morning is one of those areas where that need of balance is obvious to see where the extremes are. And that is the issue of the biblical concept of the works that we are to do as Christians. There are some who would say, well, there's absolutely nothing we can possibly do. God's already saved us. There's nothing we can do. So what's really the point of doing any Christian work whatsoever? On the other end of the spectrum are those who would say, well, you have to pile up all the good works you possibly can. And maybe then, just maybe... God God will save us. We'll look at that again in just a moment. Those two extreme extremes. But as usually is the case, the truth is found somewhere in the middle. Yes, there are works we must do. No, we can never do enough to earn or to warrant our way into heaven. There is, There are certain things that God requires of us. We know that. We must follow Him in, in humbleness while realizing that piling up as many good works we possibly can do is is never enough to be perfect in the sight of God. We are finishing out this morning a three-part lesson that we began a couple of weeks ago concerning the subject of salvation. All of these lessons have centered around Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I hope you have your Bible open to that text. We're going to be there one more time this morning. And you may think there's nothing else we could possibly ever talk about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And don't worry, I'm not going to do this anytime soon. But in studying for these lessons, I found two more sermons I want to preach at some point. So at some point in the future, we might get back to this text. But I don't want to go back to it again anytime soon. because People probably think, wait a minute, we've had the same scripture reading three weeks in a row. Yeah, we have. But two weeks ago, we discussed what it is we are saved from. We are saved from spiritual death. We're saved from trespasses. From sins, from following the course of the way of the world, from following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, and from following selfishness or following those desires of the body and of the mind. Verses 1 through 3 talked about that. Then last week we talked about how we are saved, what we are saved by or through. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. We're saved by grace, by faith, and by works, but not by meritorious works. We don't earn salvation. But there are things God requires of us to do. Verse 8 and verse 9. But why? Once we're saved, what does God expect of us? You see, as Paul ends these 10 verses, he also shares with us not just what we were saved from and what we are saved by, but what we are saved to become. You see, God does not just save us from something bad. Well, he talked about two weeks ago. God saves us for something great. And that's where I want us to end these three lessons this morning. I want us to look at verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I want us to look at that one verse just phrase by phrase to see what it is if we are Christians, we were saved to be or to become. Notice the first line. We are God's workmanship. After that beautiful description of salvation in verses 1 through 9, Paul says, For we are God's workmanship. But did you notice there's a change in the tense of the verb? You were dead, verse 1, past tense. God made you alive, past tense, verse 5. You are God's workmanship. This is an ongoing thing, and that's going to be a theme throughout the entirety of this lesson. If you look back up at what we were saved from, we look at Paul's extended description of salvation in verses four through nine. And then you see you are God's workmanship. The original word here is a Greek word that you may actually know because it's the word poema. It's the word from which we get our word poem. And what Paul was saying is you are God's masterpiece. If you allow God to save you through the blood of Christ, that is God's masterpiece. Sometimes we look at the creation around us and we see the vastness of the stars, the vastness of the universe. We see the the amazing complexity of ourselves and and all these inner working things. We go, that has to be God's masterpiece. And certainly creation is a masterpiece. But What Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 is as amazing as that is, salvation is ultimately God's masterpiece. One who has been saved from death, and made alive again through Christ. That, in many ways, is God's greatest work. But notice, we are God's workmanship. We are His masterpiece, His poem. And that ties back to the last verse, verse 9. We're told that we're saved, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. As we mentioned last week, some look at that and say, see, there, there's no works in salvation. Paul said that exactly. It's not exactly what he said, though. What Paul said was there are no works we could have done that we could boast about. We cannot brag about our salvation because here Paul says there are works we must do. And that makes us God's masterpiece. If you think about the plan of salvation, what Paul was really saying is there is nothing along that plan of salvation, no step in that plan of salvation about which I can brag. I mean, just think through it. I have faith in God. Look how wonderful I am. That doesn't even make sense. Because when I fully understand God, there's a certain amount of humility that comes along with that faith. When it comes to repentance, I must repent of sin. I've repented of sin. Look how wonderful. Not that doesn't make sense either. Because I'm repenting of sin. I'm saying that I have made mistakes. I have been sinful. I have been wrong in the eyes of God. There's nothing to brag about when it comes to that. When I confess Christ, look how wonderful I no, because I'm confessing Christ as Savior and Lord. In other words, I'm saying I could never do this of my own accord. And even the act of baptism where one is immersed for the forgiveness of his or her sins. There's nothing to brag about there. We're, we're thankful for it. We're proud of it in, in a good way, but we're not, we don't brag about it. Look what I have done. No, because it's the ultimate sign of submission that we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. But once a person has submitted to that plan of God he or she becomes God's masterpiece because that person has fully put his or her trust in the way of God. What were we created for. We were created. We were saved to be God's workmanship. But Paul then goes on to say that that happens when we are created in Christ Jesus. The masterpiece is only possible because of Jesus Christ. And so Paul turns turns our attention there. God's Saving work was accomplished through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And so God creates or really recreates his masterpiece through that same work. The word translated created there means just that. You could also, in your Bible, if you want to, right off the side, that the word could also mean a molding or a forming of something. It implies a lot of things. But I want to make just one point of application here. And that is, if there is a creation if there is a molding, if there is a forming that occurs when I am saved from sin, then my implication, we know that something is different about that person. Something has changed in that person's life. It could be someone who is the vilest sinner we could ever think of. And yet somehow they come to a saving knowledge of God and they obey him. We say, well, obviously are. or it could be someone who, who was, as we say, raised in the church. And they're they're a good boy. They're a good girl. But somewhere along the line, they realize they need to be saved. Something changes about that person. And that's why Paul would say in Romans chapter six and verse four that we rise to walk in newness of life. He does not say you rise to walk in sameness. Of life. There's something new. What is it that's new? Well we could give a lot of specifics if we wanted to. We could make a long list if we wanted to. But really. What changes is one simple thing. I am now fully submissive to the Lord. That's really what changes. All the way back up in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul said that when one was outside of Christ, that person followed the course or the way of the world. In verse three, he wrote about how we follow the desires of the flesh and the mind. We carry those things out. In other words, we were not submissive to God. We might have followed God sometimes. We, we might have thought about following God, but we were not fully submissive. And yet, when I become a Christian, that's what changes. I no longer am living for self. I'm no longer following the course of the world. I am created new in Christ Jesus. Something is new about me. And that newness is who I follow. It's no longer me. It's certainly no longer Satan. It's the sovereign God. We become His workmanship in Christ Jesus. But, of course, a good question to ask is, when does that happen? When, when, when does this in Christ Jesus happen? Aren't you glad that the Bible is its own best commentary? I mean, I can stand up here and tell you, well, I think it might happen here. If you just do that, I, I hope it happens. But in your copy of God's Word, you can probably turn back towards the front one or maybe two pages and have the answer. Because the same author, Paul, in the book of Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 27, gives us the answer. He said, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're baptized where in to Christ. Tie that back to Ephesians chapter two and verse ten. How do we become Paul's masterpiece? You are created in Christ Jesus. Where am I created in Christ Jesus? I'm baptized into Christ. And someone says, see there, I knew he's going to work baptism into this sermon somehow. And doesn't he know that's a work? No, it isn't. In the act of baptism, I am saying in a physical sense, someone else placed me under the water. But in a much deeper sense, I am saying, God, take my sins away. It is not a work. It is an active or excuse me, a passive activity. It is something I allow to be done to me because I trust in God. It implies exactly what we're talking about. And that's the idea of submission. I want to be God's masterpiece. I want to be his workmanship. I want to be his poem. How do I do that? I allow him to create new in me through or in Christ Jesus. Why? Paul says all of that happens for good works. Paul does not, make, does not say that we're Christians to be nothing, to do nothing. Remember I told you a moment ago to keep the idea of the masterpiece and the poem in mind those two words you are God's workmanship his poema his poem his masterpiece here's why I want you to keep those two concepts in mind god does not make us an artistic masterpiece to hang on the wall of a museum god makes us a poem to be read to the world god creates within us the need to do good works it is our purpose to walk in good works. Now does that mean that we're teaching some kind of works salvation? Well, it depends on what you mean when you ask that. If you mean, can I do enough good works to earn salvation? Well, the answer is obviously and biblically no. We could never do enough because one false step puts us out of perfection. Which means there's no hope if that's what we believe. But if we say, are there certain things that God asks us to do in order to be saved? And the answer is yes. Yes. And by using that picture of walking, walking in good works, Paul is saying simply as a Christian, this is to be our lifestyle. Many of you walk for exercise and maybe you walk the same path or the same way around your neighborhood or something every single day. But somewhere along that, maybe at some point you stepped off the side of the road or the side of the track, or maybe you stumbled over a rock or or maybe you came back to your house and tripped over the threshold Does that mean you didn't walk that day? No. It just means that for a moment, you stepped off the path. Just for a moment, you stumbled. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. The Christian's lifestyle is to be one that continually does good works. Are there times that we're going to stumble in that? Yes. There are times we're not going to fulfill every opportunity. Remember, it's later in this very same book, the book of Ephesians. Ironically, it's chapter 6 and verse 10 that he says... As you have opportunity, do good to all those who have the household of faith. Sometimes I'm going to miss those opportunities. Sometimes I'm going to stumble. But what's my lifestyle? What's my walk? Christians are to walk in good works. We are to walk in things that are right. That should be our lifestyle. You think about what some of the religious world teach. That there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. I think I know what they mean when they teach that. But you know, if you take that to its logical end, if you really think through it to its logical end, why do anything that's good? If God has saved you from eternity past and has predestined that you will be saved and you will not be saved, and if there's nothing you can possibly do to fall from the grace that he shows in saving you, why do anything It's good because you're going to end up in heaven anyway or hell anyway, whichever it's supposed to be. Paul tells us here that if you are God's workmanship, it will show itself through a life of good works, through a lifestyle of continually trying to do what is right. What did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory where to your father who is in heaven. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2 that Christians are to shine like the luminaries, shine like stars in the midst of a dark world. Philippians 2 and verse 5. There are certain things that we are to do to let our light shine. But well, what can we possibly do? Well, the list is endless, really. We want to make think of every specific thing we could think of. It would take forever. But the ultimate thing for us to think about is we follow in the footsteps of Christ. Because Christ simply did good. You think about what he did. He taught others about God. He helped the hurting. He denounced false doctrine. He cared for the poor. He trained the next generation to serve God. He served others in the lowliest of ways. He prayed both for himself and for others and publicly. And the list could go on and on and on. But the key for us is to notice that everything Christ did was walking in the works that God laid out for him. Luke would say that Jesus both did and taught. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. And then nine chapters later in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Luke would write that Jesus simply went about doing good. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But further than what Jesus did, consider what he did not do. Jesus did not waste time. Jesus, every moment was spent trying to glorify God and trying to bring others closer to him. Can that be said of us? Paul reminds us in this same book, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, that we are to redeem the time or make the most of the time because the days are evil. That ties into this concept of walking in good works. Is my lifestyle one of simply doing what's right? Simply doing good. I want to be God's masterpiece. That happens. I'm created to be God's masterpiece in Christ Jesus when I'm baptized into Christ. Why? So that I can walk in good works. But you may have thought. Wait a minute. You you skipped over a phrase in that verse. And yes I did. Because I wanted to save it for last. And that's the concept. That this is a set way. It's the phrase where Paul says. These good works are those. Which God prepared. Beforehand. Now, this is not saying that God predestined people, that you are just supposed to walk a set path and there's nothing you can ever do to change your, your destiny. God gave us the, the idea of choice. He gave us the will to choose. What Paul is simply saying is that there are works that God has set out to do for his people. In other words, he has said that his people will be workers of good works, of good things. And that will be the way it is for all time. Johnson in his people's New Testament put it very simply. He said, it is God's ordination that all who believe the gospel and are saved should practice good works. That's all Paul is saying here. Is if Is I'm going to be God's masterpiece from eternity past. God said, the people who follow me are the ones who are doing good. That's all it means. In other words, God has never called people to lazy living. He has always had a plan in place for his people to have things to do that honor him and shine his light in the world. By the way, I think this is one concept that should make us even more thankful that we live in New Testament times even more than Old Testament times. Because in Old Testament times, most of that is seen in what we know from things like sacrifices and offerings and tithings and all those just minutiae that they, they had to follow to follow the 600 and whatever it is, 13 or whatever laws that are found in the law of Moses. Are there still certain things we must do as Christians? Absolutely. But what God has told us now simply is you walk in good works. You know what it is to do good. Within each one of us, we know what it is to help others. We know what it is to, to honor God. We know what it is that brings him glory. Just go do it. But God has never told us do nothing. If you need proof of that, spend about two minutes in Hebrews chapter 11. You'll figure it out. People like Abraham, we stated in my Bible class this morning, people like Noah, Moses, Rahab, those who walked around the walls of Jericho and on and on and on. Every time through that chapter, there are remarkable results. But every description begins that little two word phrase by faith, by the faith in God. These people did these things. God gave the victory. There's no doubt about that. But these people had to do their part because God does not look kindly upon laziness. James put it this way. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then he said in chapter two, verse twenty six, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What is it that God has in place for us to do? What is it that he put in place beforehand, as Paul wrote it, tie all of this together, tie Ephesians two, one through ten together and you have the answer. Whatever it is that brings us out of death, trespasses, and sins, verses 1 and 2. Whatever it is that makes us alive in Christ, verse 5. Whatever it is that shows us to be God's workmanship, His masterpiece, and creates us in Christ Jesus, verse 10. What is it that Christians are to be doing? Trust and obey. That's Ephesians 2 1 through 10. I trust in what God has laid out and I obey it. It's the simple act of submission and obedience. Because when I submit to God's will and obey even when I might not understand, I'm showing my faith through actions that God has been working out through all the ages. And I'm showing my trust in him and in his plan by simply submitting to what he has said is necessary. You know, quite often we reduce the Christian life to nothing more than checklists. Uh, There's a couple easy ways to see that. You think about the plan of salvation. I've listened to a sermon or I've I've read the Bible a little bit, so I've heard. Check. And then I, I see those other things. Faith, repentance, confession, baptism. Check, 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 check. I check off those five things. Therefore, I'm good. Are those things essential? Absolutely. They're necessary. There's no doubt about that. You think about what we do in worship. We eat the Lord's Supper. We give. We sing. We pray. We say the Bible. Check, 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 check. I've done all five of those things. Therefore, God must be pleased. Are those things essential? Absolutely. They're necessary. But God has never asked His people in New Testament times simply to check things off a list. What God has asked us to do is to do all of those things ultimately to his glory, because they are simply a part of walking in good works. They are doing all that God would have us to do out of an attitude that says, I am going to do everything that God would have me do. And here's why I point that out. Sometimes we can take that checklist mindset even into our everyday Christian living. I sort of come up with, well, I'm here Five steps to the plan of salvation and five acts of worship. maybe I come up with five things that I'm supposed to do every day. And if I do those five things, then, then God must be pleased with me. The problem with that is, too often, we set the bar about this high. I'll make sure I don't kill anybody today. I haven't cheated my wife today. I didn't lie to anybody today. I prayed at breakfast. And I said hello to that person who's a jerk to me next next door. Therefore, God's pleased with me. Folks, Christianity is more than checking some things off a list. I was dead. But God made me alive. And so every day I'm going to walk in good works. I'm not going to check things off a list. I'm going to do whatever I can to honor what God has done by what I am. And too often, it's very easy for us to see or to say, excuse me, well, God made me His masterpiece. And so figuratively speaking, I'm going to hang myself on the wall In the museum of the church building. God did not create us new in Christ Jesus. Just to be faithful in here. God made us alive. To be a poem. To be read to the world. That's what it means to be saved. What was I saved from? Death trespasses, sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, selfishness. What was I saved by? By grace you've been saved through faith and the works that God requires, not because we can boast about them, but because by walking every day, we are simply saying, God, I can't believe you would do this for me. I can't believe you would make a dead man live. I can't believe you would take one who was selfish. And make her submissive. I can't believe you would take one. Who was following the course of the world. And make him one who walks in the light. You are God's masterpiece. Created through baptism in Christ Jesus. So that you can walk in good works, the works that God set in place from eternity past, so the world will know that God still saves by grace through faith. Does that describe you? Would others, just by looking at the way you live, know that you are one who was dead and is now alive? Would others know just by the way you live that you were one who was lost, but now you've been found? Would others know just by the way you live that your entire life is now spent saying, I'm honoring God simply by what I do and what I am? Or to put it another way, are you saved? Are you saved? And does anybody know it? If not, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.